Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Like 
five fingers on a hand, and they come together and they make it all make sense. Um, and that's a huge thing, bro. That's a huge thing. Um, I, we were talking, uh, you know, before the show started, and man, you have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's true. It's true, man. I've been I've been really blessed and fortunate over the years. Um, I was just um, focused from a very young age, man, and um, it was always something that kind of stood out to me. Some of my mentors told me early about never taking things for granted, and as I got mm. older, I realized that I, I went through certain moments. I went through certain trials and tribulations and thunderdomes. Uh, as a as a test, as a as a mental, like a uh, you know you have muscle memory, you know. Yeah. It was just like put this on the tool belt, include this into the psyche, into the realm of your uh, intellectual intelligence, and uh, it'll come back. And lo and behold, right. every time, it all made sense later. It was like, oh, I went through this, so I could be ready for this moment. And I, and and so I just I remember that and that it just it always uh, stays in the front of my mind when whenever I'm dealing with things it's like don't be worried uh, the character is built uh, along the quest. Mm-hmm. Man, I overstand you on that. So um, so we we announced it, uh, you know DJ Quest you know Quest Coast name of the company. Um, but uh, with all the hats, am, am I using your government name now? Or I mean, are you that high up? I heard you know you, you're doing a whole bunch of stuff, man. Or can I can I? I mean, can we still be intimate and I can call you Quest, man? You can you can call me Quest, brother. You can absolutely absolutely call me Quest. There was a time where I, I, I wasn't uh I wasn't gonna let anybody call me by my government, but you're right. In certain instances, uh. I will definitely uh, be summoned by my government uh, with joy right. and grace, you know. Right. Okay, I'm like, because, you know, uh, next thing you know, you're going to be visiting the president and, well, maybe over a new president. But anyway, uh, you know what I'm saying? And, you I'm know, like Easy E and stuff. 45. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, 45. Mm, yeah, it might be kind of technical. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay with Quest because I love him, and that's how um we were um, introduced, and man, um, you got a lot of layers going on, bro. Um, I know we got. Uh, I think um, on the list, we had event coordinator. Um, you even went into holistic health. Um, man, you done helped develop some children's books. You got kids and stuff growing up, you know. And now, I mean, and, and then we were introduced as you know, as, as in the DJ family. Through um through Impact Record Pool, my man uh, Tracy and and Foot, uh, Recipes Foot, um, yeah. but man now you got community activists going on, man. Um, but before we jump into all that other stuff, man, let's let's talk about the first hat. Um, you being the DJ, um, what got you into that field initially, man? Well, I was um, I was inspired by a couple uh, DJs early on. Um, I used to go to these uh, Rogers Park dances in the neighborhood. There was a there was a uh, yeah man. 
a park in my neighborhood that would uh, have these monthly dances, and, and there was a DJ there and an MC, and I was already writing raps at the time, and um, I was just inspired, and so I begged my parents for some turntables, and in 95, they gave me or gifted me some turntables for Christmas, uh-huh. and just being really into music as an MC. Uh, I quite naturally grew to being a DJ. It was some of the moments that happened in '95, '96. Guys, before you continue, can somebody, can somebody like either like turn off their sound or mute something or something? Because there's a lot of like crashing and a lot of like interference in between. Oh, okay. Um, Does somebody have like a computer? I got something going on. I'm hearing less. Okay, I'm hearing less feedback. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. All right. All right. Yes. So, is it better now? Is it good? Yeah, it's better. It's a lot better. Um, So, I got these turntables in 95 for Christmas, but there were some pivotal things that happened to me that kind of shell-shocked me as an MC, a young aspiring MC. You know, we lost uh, our beloved brothers Tupac and Biggie. And so, um, those events in 96 and 97 really deterred me from wanting to rap a little bit, just to be honest with you. But I was still in love with music, and so I, I just gravitated to DJing. And um, and from there, man, I think it was just being at the Rogers Park dances uh, mm-hmm. and the, the interaction between the DJ and MC and the crowd. That exchange uh, I became addicted to, and it became like, you know, one of my uh, my drugs that I kind of uh, experienced throughout my entire DJ career. That that exchange is like no other, man. It just it just always uh, stayed with me, you know. Right, right. Well, I, let's let's give a little bit of uh, emphasis and context. Uh, Rogers Park. Uh, for those who are listening and those who don't live in Los Angeles, Rogers Park is like one of the uh, popular uh, parks in Inglewood. Inglewood, I had to say it like that. Inglewood, Inglewood. Uh, California. You got to say it like and, that. Um, yeah, man. And um, <clears throat> it was one of the parks that gravitated to me. Um, I was an LA kid, and I used to catch the um, the La Brea bus down to um, Rogers Park um, to hoop. Um, this was a time when um, some people may not even know uh, Harold Minor or um, Paul Pierce may be, mm. may be a little bit more well-known. Mm. But we used to ball in the gym. And, man, if you didn't know anyone or if you couldn't hoop, you couldn't get down. But outside of the mm-hmm. gym, the, the rest of the park was very, very inviting. For these dances that uh, Quest is talking about, it kept us out of trouble. Um, it kept you focused on, you know, the things at hand. Um, and, and that was one of the, the awesome things about this particular park. When you talk about community, yeah. community uh, gravitated yeah. to this park. And uh, for someone like me who's in the roller skating community as well, some of my old school rollers are over at um, Rogers Park and they're skating. They're skating like on um, Sundays yeah. and Saturdays. Out on the um, on the out out of um, courts and stuff like that. So I had to put emphasis on that because I think this 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 community 
was, um, I know it was a trigger point for me, and Quest spoke on it, so I just had to put emphasis. So all my people over there at Rogers Park, what's man, up? hey, what's up? Yeah, man, I just want to add, uh, the staff there became like family because I was just like a kid. I never went to Boys and Girls Club there, but I was there every single day after school, and, you know, the staff there became like, you know, mentors and, and, and just family. You know, rest in peace, Doby. We just lost him uh, this this year. And, um, yeah, man. That, that crew, man, they they helped. Man, yeah, rest in peace, brother. They, they, they helped groom me, man. I mean, basketball coaching and baseball and just a little bit of everything there, man. And so it's a lot of memories at the park. Um, just just uh, uh, growing from boy to man. You know what I'm saying? That part. So that's always family. Yeah. Huge, man. Huge. Well, man, I'm I'm just kind of kind of torn with our Adobe going, man. So, um. Yeah, man, that was tough. That was a hard. That's a hard one. Um. So let's 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 move on, though. Let's let's track through the evolution of Quest. So. Um, I mentioned in, uh, that, that you have, you are a DJ, but I didn't know you were MC. So this is something that I just learned fresh and firsthand. So that's a, this is dope stuff. But as a DJ, um, you needed to have events um, in some cases, and in some cases you created those actual events. So we're going to move away from the DJ hat a little bit. And how would you get into um, event coordinating? Well, I think it was a natural progression for me because I've always aspired to be, like, the best in the field of DJing, just the best that I can mm-hmm. be, not like from a competitive tip, just, just being the best that I can be and how I can be at the top of the food chain as a leader for the, right. for the culture and the community in which I come from. And so, you know, being that I was an entrepreneur by mind, uh, just – my mom was an accountant. My dad was a contractor. So it just always taught me to, like, do for self. So I started my own business early. I started a, I started a record label in a, in a studio and then went through the mixtape phase and left that uh-huh. phase. And as we the Internet opened up, I started a, a Internet marketing company and, like, a vlog and, uh, you know, just had some interesting business dealings there and, after that phase, I was a little ahead of the curve, like 2005, six. Anybody talking about internet radio and, and and vlogging, it was like you were speaking a new language that hadn't really touched the community yet. And so I was too far ahead of the curve, and then we went into a recession. But we came out of that recession, and I started touring as tour management now, production management. Mm-hmm. So okay. along that, I right. always aspired because I started to see certain festivals sprouting up around the world. And as I toured, I realized how infatuated I was about festivals and, and these large events. And so I, I did my first uh, festival um, on Venice Beach in 2011 called Palooza. It was a community event. Yeah. It was where yeah. we activated all of the recreation that was there in the center of Venice Beach. So from basketball right. to handball to skating to 
uh, rollerblading, uh, and mm-hmm. then we added like a kids area, activated the kids area. Then we activated the stage, and uh, we had just lost um, uh, the legendary uh, Tina Marie, who was from Venice, California. And so I was charged to do a Tina Marie tribute, and I had members of Fishbone. Uh, uh, put together a band for me, and we had mm-hmm. Charlie Tuna from Jurassic Five, and, right. and just a bunch of locals. Uh, after that, um, and that was like the start of my festival career, and and we got it all for less than twenty thousand. The city of uh, of L. A. gave me a commemoration. It was the late uh, Councilman Bill Rosenthal who who awarded us uh-huh. that accommodation, and so I was like, man, we on to something. And I always looked at my company as a production company, not just like a DJ company. And so um, I always said we, us, you know, not I mm-hmm. or me when I talk right. to my clients. So it always just just projecting that this was bigger than me and that I could hire other people and I can offer other people opportunities and I don't have to just forward all the opportunities myself because I always looked at uh, it was an analysis like, do I want to be the barber or do I want to own the barber shop? You know, and I w- I'd rather own the barber shop and put 10 great barbers in there than be the one great barber. And when I leave, my money stops too. So that was my idea in, in DJing. I have a production company, so I would rent equipment for myself and charge, and charge my clients, you know, uh, and just how that kind of grew into a bigger production company as I learned logistics and I learned the technical side. I got into sound engineering. And and, and, and so um, that was like um, uh, that was like a, a thing of, of how can I put it? Um,
So that took the, the production level up a lot. We must have spent like 80000 that year. The second year we came back and we did it again, and it was it was super dope. The second year we came back, we had uh, Master Ace, Far Side. Uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. We had we had a bunch of cats though, and then the next year we came back. We had Chaos One and Beanie Man, and 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 these are just the headliners because we grew it to from a hip hop festival to a hip hop Latin and Caribbean music festival, right in the heart of Los Angeles. And uh, it's one of the uh, it's one of the only ones on that level. The first year we did three thousand people. Second year we did five. The next year we did 10,000 people That was last year We went from last one year. stage to six stages You know in a matter of three years And uh, we can't do it this year Of course because of COVID But in the midst of that I picked up the Mid-City Art and Music Festival And started curating and producing that uh, Also uh, in Mid-City And then I picked up uh, The Obama Fest And co-curated that event Along with Bridge uh-huh. Street uh, Productions and my man Martin Ludlow, um, and um, shout out to uh, Kamani Black for he, he be throwing me live. That's my brother. And, um, right. Um, uh, 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 then I then I landed a contract with the city of Inglewood this year and produced the MLK uh, produced the stage for the MLK festival in which KJLH had a stage and and my company Elevate Culture present and my business partner. Uh, Thurs, who's also an artist and producer uh, and songwriter, he has a company called Party in My Living Room. We produced that stage and we brought out DC Oak and Tiffany Goucher and and Iman Omari and Nachalant Savan and DJ Artistic and Battle Cat. And, uh, you know, um, I even started a group with Battle Cat. Um, caught the G-Funk All-Stars for a moment In which it was just an all-star collective It really was an event that turned into like Let's make an album uh, And that project I mean it was so many superstars on that project It was hard to harness that I ain't gonna lie Because uh, everybody in the group was a solo artist and a star You know And, and that was, alone, was heavy yeah. But we had some real like It was like Grammy nominated Grammy award winning Like all-star collective, and it, it created a ripple effect where people, they, they didn't just want to come to our events anymore. They started booking us to, to perform at other shows. And it was like, we a group that they booking to perform, and we ain't got no song. It's just, it's just phenomenal musicians who individually people love. And to get anybody to sit in, like our first show in the crowd, we had like Anderson Pack and James Fontleroy and and like you know, just like just rent, rants, gossip for fifteen hundred, like just people just showing up who are like way up there, just because right. they were just excited. Like Erica Badu tweeted about it, and Currency tweeted about it, and and people was just like, "Whoa, this is really really dope. We love what you guys are doing. Keep it up." And now Battle Cat uh, is is reignited and. He's dropping new music now. He's he's inspired to, to record. He has a whole album that he's about to drop with him as an MC now and producing and got records with yeah. all kind of new cats. And he's always been active, but these, these projects really help really push him to a new uh, place in his career and, and being able to write this music. So it's been so much, man. That um, yeah, man. Now it's just like. 
I have a production company, you know, most most recently the Juneteenth celebration in Lamar Park in the middle of COVID, in the middle of a civil unrest, we were able to assemble 7,000 black men and women and allies and with some Latinos out there, with some white folks right. out there. Everybody showed up. Uh, right. And um, it was safe. I can't say we social distance properly because it was packed like sardines, but a lot of people had masks on and we were there with, uh, you know, the city got behind us. LAPD supported us. Walsh supported uh-huh. us. And we had an amazing uh, production team, El Camille and, and and my lady, DJ Freckles, and uh, uh-huh. Dye Person Lynn, who's a great uh, attorney, criminal defense attorney who calls himself the abolitionist Lincoln lawyer. Um, right. And Tony from Hot and Cool Cafe and, and my boy Fred, DJ FM. We all just kind of got in the trenches and, and and mapped out this event in the in a matter of like ten days. We had forty artists, three stages, and over seven thousand people show up, and it was just phenomenal, man. We didn't have no permit. It was a rally. It was really a rally for Black Excellence in the city and and all of the powers that be. Just all came in support and made sure that it was just a beautiful day in the neighborhood, man. And, when people ask how did that happen, all I can say is, is it was bigger than all of us. I believe the ancestors was a part of that. I believe uh, Almighty God put his touch on that. And uh, we were just, you know, uh, uh, channeling all of that energy into the community. And it was really, really felt in a real way. It was like a big group hug. We needed that in the community, you know, to like reignite our mind, our body, and our spirit to know that the work, a lot of the work that we have to do right now in this time and space is the inner work. It's the work that you have to do on the inside of yourself to make sure that you're ready to radiate good energy back into the world and be a, a, a productive, uh, you know, human being in this place, you know? That's part. That part, man. We need that. That's huge. <laughs> That's extremely huge. I'm straight loving um, the the response to the question, man, because um, I, I'm just glad that um, someone is picking up the mantle, and um, they're 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 pushing the baton a little bit. So that's huge. Extremely huge. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of work. Honestly, so, uh, quest. Um, so with that being said, like, um, who are, do you have any like classic? inspirations as DJs that we wouldn't know of? Like, who who inspired you to, like, I mean, like, do you, like outside of who you, like, mentioned? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, um, the first DJ uh, that I saw, like, with my eyes was Michael Flip Barber. Michael Flip Barber's a DJ and a producer. He had records. He used to be down with uh, the L.A. Zoo, and he, he did a lot of work with Razzcast back in the day. Um, oh, okay. And so uh, uh, Michael Flip Barber, his brother is Brian Barber. He's the uh, video director who who done so many projects with Outkast, and he, and he directed the movie Idlewild. Those are some Inglewood uh-huh. babies right there, and we grew up on the same block. They were older than me, but uh, Mike would come bring his turntables and put them in my living room. And although my brother and some of my cousins were gangbanging, the gangsters would come inside my house, flamed up, and be breakdancing. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, whoa, this is deep. I was really young at right. the time, you know. And then I started going to the Rogers Park dances. So that's my brother DJ Space and MC Big Al. Um, right. And then uh, after that, there was a brother named Kenny D. He used to be on KGF, KGFJ back, back, back in the day, way before my time. But Kenny D was a local DJ in Inglewood. Uh, he was at the Mirage. He was at Dynasty. He was at Market Street Bar and Grill, the VFW, like a local Chitlin circuit in Inglewood, right? But Kenny D introduced me to Danny Foot James and Tracy Kendrick and, and Impact Record Pool when I was in high school, and that literally changed the trajectory of my career, like, immensely, you know? Um, and from and from there, um, I, I, I began DJing at the Market Street Bar and Grill at a, as a young, tender 17-year-old and like a 25 and up high preferred crowd. I'm playing old school from like 6 to 10 every day, and then from 10 to, not every day, but every Friday. And then from 10 to 2, I'm playing hip-hop and R&B. And uh, that that just laced my shoes in so many ways. It was DJs like uh, Groovy Lou, rest in peace. It was DJs like Alcatraz, um, who were there with me, DJ Divine and Cornbread and MC Big Al, all those guys were there and kind of like really looked out for me. Uh, Seven Oasis, Greg, and uh, it was a few DJs down with Seven Oasis. I was hella inspired by those guys because they were throwing parties and I just wanted to like get down with them. You know, DJ Dents was a part of that crew and uh, it was just a few other DJs that was down with them. You know, uh, I used to go to the Soda Pop. The Soda Pop, it was a DJ there named DJ Scratch. Not like East Coast DJ Scratch, but he was in there. And he was dope, too. Um, and then, uh, let's see, um, DJ Kilo Graham from Freestyle Fellowship and uh, Macy Gray's DJ. That's Freestyle my brother, Fellowship, man. He, no <laughs> yeah, man, he, he laced my shoes in so many ways, too. He was like OG Big Bro, and he just was like, wait, you don't know about this song? You don't know about this record? I got a record. I got a, I got a story for you and why this is this. is And, you know, so man, I, I, I learned how much music. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. um, it transitioned into DJ Battle Cat. Like, he saw me DJing at Maverick Flat one day. Uh-huh. And he tells the story. And he was like, yo, I was just amazed by the kid's uh, uh, song selection and, and how he played the music. And I was like, I just gave him his props. Like, yo. I'm sitting there with my wife trying to eat, but I'm like, damn, who is DJing? He's killing it. He, you know, and so that created and sparked a friendship with us. And over the years, it just it blew my mind. I would get, like, random calls from Battle Cat, like, hey, yo, I need you to do this. And I'd be like, <laughs> how do you have my number, bro? Like, and why me? Like, how the fuck? You know, excuse, I don't know if I'm going cuss, but I'm like, man, how? how? But, okay, I ain't going to question. I pull up, you know. And uh, like one time he called and asked me just for music, man. I need I, I need some music. I just need some music. I know you got the records. I just pull pull up to the studio, bro. I just and I'm like, really? You that you want my library? I, I want your library, like right. And um, <laughs> right. Of all people, <laughs> of all people, and we just start sharing music and just became really really good friends over the years. And man, from I mean, he took me around Dre, he took me around Snoop, he took me around everybody. That 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 loved him. He took me around them and was like, "Yo, this is my my young gun, you know." But not just like my young protege. Like he the truth right now. 
So I, you know, whatever you paying me, you owe him that same amount. Wow. So I was like, wow, that's love right there. So, you know, he could have he could have just broken the deal and broke me off five hundred here and pocketed the other two or three. But nah, he made sure that I was getting the same amount of money that he was getting, and he also went as far as to say, you need to make your name bigger on the flyer. Your name is not big enough on the flyer. Your, your name don't need to be small. Your name, your name needs to be just as big as my name on the flyer. And I was like, damn, I, I mean, I'm not like, nah, he was like, and he made sure when we would do events together that anybody that was doing those type of flyers for us, they build it in a certain way. And just that love is, is uh, it's priceless, bro. I mean, so there's also like DJs like artistic, DJ Mosky, you know, um, the East Coast classic DJs that you know about, you know, the Jam Master Jays and the Hurt, you know, the the uh, uh, the Flashes, the Red Alerts. I really, 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 really love my brother Dougie Fresh, like. We've worked oh, wow. together yeah. uh, on the festivals. He's called me to do other events with him. But just the way that he MCs, that has inspired me because I, I MC like, not just like rap, but, like, I host. And so being able to keep the party going and tie it all together through music and song and, and real crowd participation, I learned so much from Dougie Fresh, man. And uh, I mean, the list goes on. It's a bunch of, like, Uncle Jam's Army and Roger Clayton and, and, and a lot of those type of cats, uh, Joe Cooley's Egyptian Lover, of course the Beat Junkies, you know, um, right? And local. And it, I mean, it's yeah, exactly, man. I mean, it's a lot of DJs I get game from, like just listening to their crates. Like as of late through Instagram, like a Ninth Wonder or a DJ Scratch, uh, 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 a Just Blaze, uh, even a D Nice. These DJs. Uh, have the freedom, and I've always DJ like this, but we don't always have platforms where we have the freedom to just play and dig in the crates right. and not play the most obvious stuff. So that's one thing that I love about the quarantine is that. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to ask you two two off questions. Did you have you ever DJed at the Grand Star Jazz Cafe in downtown LA? Did you ever get down over there? No, I I I, I have not. I have not, but I, I have heard yeah. of some of the sets. I know, uh, like Slowpoke and uh, my, uh, a bunch of a bunch of like real real turntablists be over there doing events. Uh, there's one event that Battle Cat goes over there and does with those cats. But uh, but just different promoters that I've I've no, I know about the club, but I haven't had a personal chance to do that there though. Yeah, because I know like a lot of the B junkies and Babu and Mr. Chalk, they uh yeah, been there often. They yeah. have an event. And then um another yeah. question I was gonna ask, like side question, like you mentioned a lot of like DJs and producers. Have you ever done anything with, with Mad Lib or uh Flying Lotus? Uh, not Flying Lotus, but um not not even Mad Lib. I mean I've done some stuff with uh with Jay Dilla's little brother. Uh, okay. yeah. Is that Mad Lib? Is that that's Mad Lib, right? No, I don't think that's Mad Lib. No, Illa J. He, no, no, it's not. It's not. I'm I'm, I'm getting them That's Illa J. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I haven't I haven't worked with Mad Lib. Definitely a fan of his his work though, and, as well as Flying Lotus, man. Um, yeah. 
Haven't oh, haven't got around to those guys. Yeah, man. I've I've been I've been yeah. out the country like we've been on a similar festivals like with Flying Lotus. Uh, okay. It's interesting. A lot of cats like I didn't meet Snoop for the first time in the United States. I met Snoop for the first time in Germany. Yeah, that's usually you know? how you meet. Like, hey, don't I know you from the from the hood? <laughs> yeah, I know you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Terrence Martin too. Like I didn't meet Terrence in the neighborhood. Like I knew of him. But I met him, and we knew of each other, but we met like on the Rock the Bell tour. You know what I'm saying? Like on the right. East Coast so You know? And uh, that's some, you know, that just happens that way though sometimes. Um let me just say this, y'all. Um West Coast just stands out. Um Quest said he's seen Snoop in uh, in Germany, but yeah, we just stand out. Just West Coast got this kind of swag, this kind of movement, this kind of groove that we just kind of connect. Um, we could be across the room from one another because when I saw the list of the DJs that Quest has been around and has been inspired by, there's a certain movement. Or a certain kind of energy that you know, okay, that is a DJ. This mm-hmm. is a, you know, this is a person who has honed their craft. And we'll all meet up. Like I've gone to a club because I started out my, I started out my promotions in clubs and special events. And I will go to see. I'll go to a club. And I'll just hang out by the DJ just to see what he or she, he or she is out there doing. Um, mm-hmm. And you just, you you look at the craft, you look at the art, you look at how, because it is a craft. I mean, you have to, you yeah. have to practice at this kind of thing. So when you yeah. mention several of these stuff. names and these influences, some that are of your age or, or younger, some are much older. Um, you know, um, and let me, I can see let the me inspiration. Just real quick, bro. Real Go ahead. Quick because you you just pointed something out that uh, you you said him or her. You know what I'm saying? Right. And right. Let me just be clear that there are some female DJs that have been instrumental in my in my career, like like Silky D and DJ Yo. Uh, Right. Silky D, the queen. Silky D, she has. She's, man, she's been a, a real true supporter and friend for so long. And she's original Uncle Jam's Army crew. Uh, right. And her daughter, DJ Spark. Her daughter, DJ Spark, was so boss. She was um, DJing for Omarion for many years. She's DJ Immature. Yeah. And um, what ended up happening is, is she got an opportunity to DJ for Layla Hathaway. Sure did. And... Uh, uh, and as she was doing more events with Layla Hathaway, Layla's schedule was becoming more busy than Omarion's schedule. Right. For, at at the time. And and uh, there became to be some conflicts of interest on dates. And so being the professional that she is, she was like, well, you know, Omarion's my friend, you know, my brother, like... I can't leave him hanging. So who can I, who can I put him with that can carry right. the ball, can carry the ball for me? And she passed me the rock, 
and that turned into like a two-year project for me and Omarion. And me and Omarion went to elementary school together, and 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 grew up together, and have like a lot of unique history together. And so being able right. to tour the world with Omarion as his DJ was phenomenal because that was the first time that I was on tour internationally as the feature DJ. You know, prior to that, I was tour manager or production manager or sound engineer mm-hmm. or stage manager, right? which was awesome experience because I was touring with, like, the really, really high royalty in music, Nas and Damian Marley and, and Morgan Heritage and Justin Bieber and, and, and Jazz and Z and different people like that. But um, as the featured DJ... As, that was that was phenomenal because Omarion is a superstar around the world. They love him. He's like a dance god, you know. And so I got to see how powerful TV is because when we were touring, he was on Love and Hip Hop, and so that reignited his celebrity. And now, now we're doing shows all over. You know? And he had a hit record with Mustard at the time. So we were really, right, right. We were really doing some cool things at that moment, you know. But um, DJ EQ, uh, a female DJ, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my crew right DJs there. Like, yeah, you feel me? Then there's people like, uh, uh, I had a homegirl DJ LA back in the day. She was with an Impact Record pool. Uh, that's right. But uh, um, DJ um, Miss Jack Daisy uh, and, and um, Tierra Moniz. And, and PZB, and even my lady now, you know, uh, DJ Freckles. My son's uh, mom is a DJ. DJ Nyla, she's in New York right now. Um, uh-huh. You know, so it's always been like phenomenal DJs around, whether they was male or female. GG Sweet, we've done a lot together, man. Yeah. Uh, I was super inspired by GG. When I started doing my special events, I would hire GG to just come through, you right. know, and that's how I built the relationship with her, you know. So, yeah, man, uh, although this is a male-dominated industry, female DJs are definitely uh, priceless, priceless and uh, matter to it's a lot of It's a lot of killer female DJs. I think their perspective on music, just playlisting, outside of all the technical stuff, just the way uh, a female kind of picks records and her... Playing style has always been uh, something that I've always admired from a lot of female DJs. There's too many to name, really. Man, you but you but you named them. <laughs> you named them. You got yeah, them in, man. bro. It's true. Man, it's it's man. many more. It's a lot of DJs that I just named, but you know, uh, for sake of time, you know, I just love the culture. <laughs> I love the culture too. Um. Again, I started out club promoting, and then I got into record promotions, which landed me the deal as the program, I mean, um, the promotions director at World on Wheels. Um, When I got to World on Wheels and I started to get around more DJs, I started to gravitate towards that role. Um. I used to have DJ meetings at the uh, at the skating rink with some of the, our you know our in-house DJs, and um, 
one of my homeboys, he's he's like a brother to me, DJ Spin said to me, How could you teach how could you talk to us about DJing and you're not a DJ? And I was like, Whoa and I was like, Ouch. So but it but it made sense. And so I, I canceled all the meetings and we and I started to teach myself to DJ. I had a great ear for music. So it came down to blends, pitches, vibes, the the kind of music energy that you needed, and and honed in a craft and continue to do so to this very day. But nice. my but my DJ hat, man, it's it's been. I think I got a pretty good DJ hat. Um, what? Well, you earned it, man. I remember just being in the record pool meetings with you, and you said your ear for music was, was good. Uh, right. Your ear for music was really good, and it was unapologetically, like, honest. And, and so I, right. think, I think, like, if anybody knows, you were giving honest feedback before there ever was a DJ head. And I love DJ right. head. I'm going to just be honest, you know. Uh, you on right. that bullhorn, uh, you would send artists yeah. home uh, crying. Or, or or they would feel charged, or they would take the information and say, "Okay, I'm gonna go be better." But they would come back, right. you know, and and what a they wasn't, uh, yeah, they come back with a better product if they wasn't broken, you know. And I, I appreciate right. that about you. That became like a a main attraction. If the bullhorn wasn't in the Impact Record Pool meeting, you know, I don't think people really understand how how impactful Double One Tanja, the record pool was. To the culture of LA and music, man. I saw some really, really, really big artists go from nothing to. I mean, come on, DJ Mustard was the DJ, and he right. he brought YG up there first, and and right. and YG and, and you might have you might have blew the horn on YG, you know, if I remember correctly. But at the end yeah, of the day, I did. Uh, <laughs> it was it was all in love, and man, that was. That was the beauty in what you did. And so, like, it's tough because, like, anybody with an ear to be a DJ, anybody that, that loves music and understands the theory of music and how the songs can go together to be a DJ uh, can start DJing, you know. Um, especially yeah. now, the difference, the difference, maybe the difference back then and the difference now was is the access to the music. You know, before, True. Um, the, D, the DJs didn't have, if you wasn't a DJ, or you wasn't a DJ that was tapped into a record pool or any type of relationship to get the records. You were buying physical copies to actually DJ. And you had to really right. love it because you're talking about thousands of dollars worth of music at that point, you know? Right. Um, and so, and, and so what, what, what made Kid Capri, Kid Capri back in the day is, is that he had the records. What made some reggae DJs with the dub plate, that guy or that guy was because they had exclusives. Now exclusives on the internet. So it ain't exclusive no more. Everybody got it. And so uh, now... And everyone thinks they're a DJ. To, everyone thinks they're a DJ. Yeah. Terrible. It's true because everybody can get everybody can get equipment, you know, which I welcome. But just because you got equipment and you got music, that don't mean you can DJ. I can, I can listen for, for 10 minutes how you transition in records and... and if you if you uh, are a DJ or a playlist, you know, right? I, I, I can right. Just, I can after thirty minutes, I'm like, okay, this is a good playlist. They know what to play, but they don't know how to play it. Or right. wow, 
they don't know what to play, but they actually can DJ, you know, uh, or yeah. no, nah, they got it, you know. Right. And when I say they got it, yeah. I'm talking about MC game. I'm talking about technique. I'm talking about musical knowledge. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very important, you know. Yeah, uh, especially for that hat, man. And um, music makes the world go round. Yes. Music makes the world go round as it goes around. So, man, just the just the the DJs you just rattled off, man. It's just it takes me back down our memory lane, and it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful play. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, bro. But but we talk about transitions. You talked about transitions mm-hmm. in the music and, and having a, an idea or gauge as to where their level of skill set is. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, when you started with your event coordinating, was it mm-hmm. easy to engage in community activism? Was it easy to transition from your, your DJ hat and producer hat to this event coordinator and, and promoter hat to now this community activism hat? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you you feel a tremendous responsibility when you realize the ramifications of pulling together more than 500 people in one public space at one time. That's a, uh, you know, that's a, a public address. And now you have uh, a certain public safety uh, responsibility and responsibility, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, uh, in front of you. And so uh, when I found out that Les Brown was a DJ, I was like, okay, I'm on to something. I, I'm not I'm not wasting my time by DJing. It's like I'm just building up my audience. So when I have something meaningful and impactful to share with the people, uh, they, they're, they're going to be all ears, you know. Um, and so that's a beautiful thing. And as I was developing these community events, I had to be mindful of the people in the community. I had to actually think about how I could best represent what the community looks like in doing, like, the West Adams block party. You know, we have a black and brown community largely. I'm partnered with some white guys uh, who own the pizza shop and the record label. And how do I best represent my community while uh, working with, um, you know, major corporations in a sense. Like, these guys uh, are uh, very successful in music. You know, they got some money. They built out a a very cool pizzeria. Uh, We have a lot of things in common. Um, Even though they're they're white and I'm black, it was just like, okay, this was a great collaboration for us to do. It, it, it It bought everybody's social currency. At the same time, uh, it it was an opportunity for us to go into the community and spread a word. Now, what that word was going to be was ultimately going to be up to me as the MC because uh, the mic was in my hand. And so now what are you going to say? Are you just going to not say nothing? Are you not going to address certain things? Can you not be political? Well, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm not a church. I'm, a, I'm an artist. Right. First, you know, so, yeah, I can speak to certain issues. I can speak to positive. I can 
speak to mind, body, and soul. I can speak to things that I think that we can start with to, to, to all cope with the many things that are happening around us because I think a lot of the things that we deal with all kind of turns into uh, 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 a call to arm. Yeah, it was a call to arm and, and, and um, a great opportunity for me to step my business profile up uh, and transition to the next level because now I have thousands of people in front of me. Let's make this meaningful. Let's make this impactful. Let's let's leave people with a sense of hope. Let's let's give them some instructions. Let's let's create call to action so people are not just leaving. Uh, building up momentum and then it dissipates after, you know. And so every event I try to figure out what what more call to action can we can we actually do and be uh, consistent upon and whatnot. And so yeah, it's been uh it's been an easy transition to engage in community activism wholeheartedly. And as the time grows, like I've always been that person at heart, though. So I do think that you have to still be that person. Inside, and that's why I go back to being centered in alignment with self, knowing thyself, mind, body, and spirit, and understanding the power that you hold within yourself, and being and being okay with that, being being at one with that, and and understanding the power that's there. Because a lot of the times, like one of the books that I'm reading right now is called Power Versus Force. A lot of the times we try to force ourselves into certain positions or, or rooms or anything you want to force yourself into. And force will never last. You can try to force, but there's always going to be great resistance, and it's, it's going to be a lower consciousness, and so it won't last. It's going to be bad energy there. And with power, though, you're consorting a higher level of consciousness. And power is almost allowing people to make the decision for themselves, you know. So when you empower others, you give them the opportunity to make the decisions for themselves. And so they think it becomes a little bit more meaningful to them because now uh, you, you, you lift them up. You elevate them as a person, as a right. as, as a player in the game, you know. Um, and but but if you're forcing everything, it might it, it, more than likely most of the time it doesn't work. And so um, that's right. I was that person, and so I was stepping into a powerful position, you know, uh, because I was using my higher level of consciousness to put these events together, and it wasn't about me. Like I could have created these stages and then like start dropping my music and, and just made it about me. But mm-hmm. it it wasn't necessarily about that. I feel like when it's time for me to do and drop music or do something artistic, I'll do it, you know. But uh, right now, um, it's important to get these events off and be the leader in the situation. That's and right. I, I wore multiple hats, you know. And so I built a business wearing multiple hats in order to create other positions for other people to come in. And so now I got a crew, you know, and, and it just helps, you know, move the ball. You got to, like, put in the work and kind of, like, show people what the work ethic should look like before you can right. expect people's work ethic to, like, 
match yours, you know. They have to see what your ethics are, you know. And so I put that, that down, part. and now it's people that's like, yo, I'll help you. Let me know what you need. I'll step up. And, and, and that's a call to action, too, you know. Well, and that's that power piece that we're talking about, especially from that book. Um, um, is that Dr. Hawkins? I think it's. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah, I think I, it is. I, I have it in my. I have it in my. Um, my Audible. Uh, good book. Yeah. Good read. Um, I think a lot of things were kind of instilled with you, but uh, from the book standpoint, it just kind of solidifies your your mind state, which sends us to the next set of uh, the next question. Black Lives Matter, okay? Black Lives Matter has mm-hmm. come to yes, the forefront a lot in the black consciousness. Have you, do you think with the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Movement and the energy that it brings, has it changed your view on black culture and perspectives? And has it changed the way you kind of monetize or leverage your events? You know, um, I think um, for me personally, and honestly yeah. speaking, man, I've been I've been a pro-black nationalist since I was eighteen. Got it. Um, and it was it was always a challenge, you know, because that was something that uh, it was almost dangerous to to be, you know. Uh, it could be problematic, you know, because um, it wasn't always widely accepted, even by other black people. Um, uh, not to mention other races and of of, of people. I, I I wholeheartedly believe that there's one human race, and right. that we all have different cultural upbringings, and that's what makes us uniquely different. Uh, under right. science, we can go into science and go down this trail of black and white and colors and all of that. But I believe there's one race of people, and when I say I'm pro-black, that doesn't mean I'm anti anybody. That just means I love myself. I love my mother, my father, my children, you know, my family, and, right. and my community, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I love nature, I love God, you know. And so, has it changed my perspective? My perspective right. has always been very, very uh, pro-black, you know. I, I've okay. studied Dr. Claude Anderson and Anthony Browder and Ashwaq Quaid, Dr. Ben. Uh, I mean, the name, it just goes on and on and on. You know, I even had a moment where I thought I was going to join a nation of Islam. Well, I didn't join, but I just made good friends, you know. Um, so I've always been very, very black in my demonstration, and there's always been a challenge because being super, super black is like being on an island. You know, James Baldwin had a great quote uh, about maybe being black was always like being in the constant uh, sense of rage at all times. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but just to have that and understand what we have been through, uh, what our ancestors have been through, all that energy is still like real because if we believe in science, science has always taught us that uh, energy is never created nor destroyed, it's merely transferred from one place to the next. And so where does all of this trauma go? It gets passed down generationally through habits and and fears and traumas and and ways of life that we have Mm -hmm. protected ourselves or so we thought we were protecting ourselves, you know. So I grew up with parents who 
came out of the civil rights movement, the kids in the civil rights movement, rather, right? And their young adult age into the still in the seventies, they were having kids and stuff. And so you think about that that generation, they were either we not going that route or we still all the way there. And a lot of people that stayed there did not have a financial freedom that they deserved or maybe were able to look for because as the great economist Richard Wolf talks about how uh, wage labor, labor wages in, in, in the private sector and the labor market froze in 1970. And we're talking about still to this day. So for 50 years, the, 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 the prices of what we pay wage, uh, 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 our labor force has not grown with respect to inflation over the past 50 years. And so now mm-hmm. you have people, in 1970, if you had a post office job and you were a manager, you had a great job, you could buy a car, any car you wanted almost, you can buy a and live a great quality of life. Well, 10 years later, that quality of life diminished. And then we're into the crap epidemic. And then 10 years right. later again, money is still flowing because we're coming out of the crack epidemic. But jobs are starting to, like, uh, the pay is starting to change. And then right. you go into 2000, now we're in a, a recession uh, in, in the 2000s and, 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 and so on and so forth. And so it took these years for all of this to happen. And so um, I've always had a perspective that we needed economic freedom. We needed equity. Yeah. I've always thought that. I've always thought, like, I just need – I just need the money so I can get the raw materials and I can understand manufacturing. I just need the, the resources so I can go into manufacturing and import and international imports and exports. When I was younger, I wanted to be an international businessman because I wanted to do imports and exports. I was like, wait, we could go here and get a natural resource, polish it up, do what we do with it, send it through the ringer, manufacture it, out comes a product, and now I have a, a product. I want to do that. Right, you know, but there was there was really no pipeline to show me how to go into manufacturing. There was no here. We're going to show you how to be a manufacturer. Maybe you can go work for the plant, but nobody who worked for General Motors or or anything in Motown started a car company and started manufacturing a car. That yes, wasn't part of the. Uh, that wasn't part of the trajectory. You know, that was just like no, we need to keep them as employees. And so we could talk about equality all we want, but until we are. E- you know, have equal rights to the resources and economics uh, of of this capitalistic society, which, you know, it's open market for anybody can go get it right now. It's true. But uh, until we're equal economically, there cannot be no equality because there will always be somebody hanging their hat over us. Uh, you think about systematic oppression right now. Uh, all black-owned business has to still do business with a white company in order to be a black-owned business. They have to subscribe to some type of uh, white uh, payment system, a POS system. Right. There are now a black, right. there are black-owned systems that are coming to light. Uh, they they buy their office supplies from uh, Office Depot or Staples, which are white-owned companies. They have to purchase office. Um, Gear, tables, uh, chairs, I mean, lights, 
switches, the construction supplies, the build their office. All that stuff is a white-owned company. And so that's where you see systematic oppression to where even if you want to start a, a black-owned business and you say, I'm going to be a 100% black-owned business, I'm going to spend my money and do my thing, you still have to go spend money with white companies in order to get your business to place for marketing. Um, and so that perspective has always been there. Um now, how how do we affect the way that we monetize and leverage our events within all of that? We still yep. try to shop black. When I did the Juneteenth event, 99% black-owned. It was, it was 100% excuse me, 100% black-owned vendors. We had black-owned sound companies, staging companies, uh, which, uh, which is pretty powerful. All of our vendors were black-owned. We didn't accept no sponsorship dollars. Outside, but this is not like we're not trying to do business with white people or we didn't want to collaborate because we did have a lot of companies reach out to us like, how can we be involved? How can we be involved? This wasn't this one wasn't about that. This one was about showing the solidarity and the black excellence that can come together in a matter of moments just to just to celebrate us. And so we reached out laterally, like we just reached out like an arm's length everybody in the crew, and we came up with black streaming companies and black photographers and videographers and artists and you name it. Everybody there was part of the culture. And that was a beautiful thing. You have to say, like you said, we're not working with the white companies because I believe collaboration should be good. You know, if you're a 51 owner in a company, that's still a black-owned business. You know, what Tyler Perry did with with Lionsgate or something like that, like we could talk about it, but he won at the end of the day, you know. You could talk about all of the politics or whatever you like or dislike about it. He took his collaboration and bought his own later, and now he, he controls his narrative. Whether you agree or not, that's not neither here nor there. You know, with the, uh, the Wayans brothers, that that family. You know, um, you know, collaboration can be good. You know, uh, it's just how you how you leverage it and how you see things and and. And what you know to be true and how you're able to navigate in that, you know. Being taken advantage of is, is not collaboration, though. Somebody just giving you a bad deal just to be in bed or get some clout. I don't promote that. Right. But, um, right. I, I, I can't well, say I, it changed me. Maybe evolved uh-huh. me and, and, and made me listen evolved. more. Made me uh, think good. about other black perspectives because we're not a monolith. And so... Uh, I was a Pan-Africanist or whatnot, and now I'm just I'm just unapologetically pro-black, and I listen to all sides of the black agenda, and I listen to what we have in common. I don't listen to what we don't have in common. I try to like keep that away because we don't have time to think about all the things that we don't agree on. We have to focus on the things that we do agree on right now, so we can pick up the ball, keep the ball in in play and score and keep scoring, you know what I'm saying, and play great defense and, and, and just stay on stay on the tail of, of, of oppression and, and white supremacy, you know, uh, and just be mindful of, of intentional and purpose-driven about um, how powerful we are as a people and that we all, I'm talking when I say all, uh, white, black, Asian, Indian, you name it, right, Latino, are all pulling from the infinite space of intelligence. And so if you don't operate or move one idea that you pull from out of the infinite space of intelligence, that somebody else has the opportunity to operate on that too, you know. And uh, 
humans have this, this IP law and these patent laws or whatnot, but before you get there, everything is an idea, and we all are pulling from the same idea pool. It's who this operates on it. And, you know? So so then let me ask this then. Um, um, with with that information and that energy and that, pers- that perspective, um, what made you form Elevate Culture? Or what? Or, or am I saying that you formed that? Or or did you partner and become Elevate Culture? What got you there? Well, yeah, well, yeah. I, I, you know, oftentimes when you name something after you, Quest Coast Production was the, is my DJ name, but it's also my company name. Quest Coast Production right. is not my DJ name; it's DJ Quest Coast. But um, oftentimes, it, unless you have made exuberant amounts of money or some extreme success, um, um, it could be your name. You have to keep introducing yourself. You have to keep uh, adding value to your name because other people are like, oh, well, he's just that's ego. One can think of it as ego just by naming your company after your name, but I don't agree with that because some of the biggest companies on the planet are all family-owned businesses, you know. And so with them being family-owned businesses, I realized that it was uh, it was it was very impactful to put your name as your legacy because your company could be your legacy, right? A part of that part. Rather. Um, but I also wanted to take it a step further um, and and. and the power and how you can just brand something, and mm-hmm. um, and that brand could could now uh, be bigger than you, and, and and it's not about you anymore, you know. And so, uh, elevate culture to me is a complete sentence. Uh, we want to simply mm-hmm. elevate the culture and all cultures. You know, saying, "Oh, I'm, I'm a lover of culture. I like, I like, you know, Asian food and I like Indian food, and you know, I like other types and styles of music." And so, all that being said, um, we wanted to rebrand the company and be intentional with how we edutain. Mm-hmm. And elevate artivism, mm. where, where there's a collaboration okay. of education and entertainment and artistic expression and activism. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good stuff right there. Well, thank you, brother. And, and the the reason why I asked about that is. When we talked about black perspectives in the in the black consciousness and being pro black, um, and I shared this with Ray um, a little while back. My great grandmother was a survivor of Black Wall Street massacre. Wow. At five years old, she left. Uh, she and, and my great great grandparents had left um, Tulsa, migrated um, to Nashville, and set up shop here. And so, so having her grow into being an educator 
and then trying to instill that culture in me young. I remember sitting watching like cartoons and then cartoons would go off and then she would teach me the kind of history that's not necessarily in the history books. And this is all pre-internet. We didn't have Google mm-hmm. then. You know what I'm saying? You you have power when you, you have encyclopedias um, in your home that makes that world come a little bit closer. So as I hear the passion and as I hear your responses to the questions that we put together, then we ask about, okay, this is, this is Quest's past, and this is where he is now. With Elevate Culture, what are your future plans for that? What do you see you want to – how do you wish to pass the baton on to your kids? Hmm. Take your time. Hey. I know that's a lot to unpack. Okay. As, 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 as you as we have seen you and the passion and the energy that you have produced and you as you answered some of these questions, we we know about you from your past as we go back to the Rogers Park. Let me let me add more emphasis to Rogers Park and that sense of community and the parents that you have that instill this sense of black knowledge and empowerment. And then you see that in your present stage right now with your production company and your community activism and, you know, how you raise your family. You know, let's, let's talk about the future with, with Elevate Culture. What is it you want to, what do you want to pass out to the future as legacy for your kids? Yeah, man, uh, just the power of family business. Uh, okay. I would say just, I would say, one, the, the power of, of a family business. Uh, so I involve the kids in a lot of my meetings and, um, and just a lot of the, the business dealings that I uh, have with my business. I keep them present. My daughter is about 11 now, so she really has been present. For all of the sessions, she's done each one of them on the stage and a lot of the production meetings, listening and watching. And um, so it's really important that in the legacy I pass down to the children, less the trauma, less the the, um, the the financial illiteracy. Hold, you know, hold on one sec, Quest. I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're sounding kind of you kind of distant right now. I really need the audience to be able to hear what you got saying on this because this is extremely important. Because yeah, I can, can barely you hear, hear you a little bit. Better? Much better, bro. Much better. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, I, it's important for me as a legacy piece to pass down the power of family business. Um, and okay. less the traumas and, 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 and less the, the, um, the financial illiteracies and, and, and mental health issues that we may have personally. Uh, and also less the oppression that we've had to deal with, you know, uh, less the pain that we had to deal with, but more of the freedom of expression, the freedom that 
you could do anything you want to do. You could build whatever you want to build. You don't have to just grow up, go to school, and go find a job, work for 50 years and retire, and then spend the last 10, 20 years of your life beat up, sick, or with the, with the least amount of energy because now you're old and shriveled up. Um, and so I want to teach the kids to to know thyself and to, to love thyself and to trust and believe in your own abilities, you know. Um, the, right. the legacy of, of, of edutainment, the, the power of entertainment, even though we look at entertainment like, oh, man, you know, I, I could be looked at as a negative thing, like, oh, man, you, could, you, you either have to sing or dance or, or shuck and jive or, or shoot a basketball or play a sport. That's the only way you're going to get out. And there's a lot of learning that takes place in, in, in just that side of the coin, in that creative, act, uh, athletic, artistic space. Um, so much, so much, so much to learn. Um, where will we be without music right now? Like, literally. Um, and so, um, although I do believe that there, that science is so important, ever, ever so more now than, than ever before, like, every day gets, it gets more significant. Okay. That we don't uh, uh, miss the ball. So, to promote science and technology and engineering, you know, art goes in there and mathematics. Uh, we want to promote that and make that cool for the kids, you know, because everything that I do is about science, technology, engineering, art, and math, from, from music to holistic teachings and, and practitionerships uh, to uh, writing books to construction um, all of my uh, business endeavors theme is at the center of it. And it's so important that we reach back and, and, and start those kids off as early as possible. Uh-huh. Break generational codes of, you know, what's cool and what's not cool, what's, what's normal and what's not normal. Um we all go to work, whether we know it or not, right? For somebody else, True. you might not have a, you might not have no kids, but you, 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 it's it's to also share with your friends and family. You know what I'm saying? Like we work hard, you get some money, you call your friend, you call your best friend, you call a girlfriend, you call a boyfriend, or you got kids, or you call your cousins or your friends. You know what I'm saying? So like. Um, I go to work. I got two kids. So it's for my family first. You know, I want to make sure that we are right, that we don't have to want for, for much. We don't have to just exist in this world, and we can live a little bit. Like, um, be healthy, be safe, um, and, and, and experience great things. In one of my songs, I say, I want the money, but only because of what money can buy, the real work come within through the strength of your mind. And so... I want to make sure that I instill that in my kids. I let them know every day. You know, I make I make sure that they're on their studies, but I also empower them with 
the emotional intelligence that they're going to need to navigate through this world because a lot of us, we get in situations and we're not emotionally intelligent. And so without that type of navigation and GPS, you don't know how to get through those tough terrains. And mm, that's good. It is that's a good so word. Important. You know, it's so important that you are emotionally intelligent in order to make it through to the destination. But we always remember that it is the character that is being built on the journey, on the quest, on the road, not the destination. Because there's not really a destination. You'll wake up every day and realize it's still right now. That part. Because that's all that matters. My great-grandmother used to tell me every day, she said, every time I would go visit her, she would say, "Um, when are you coming back to see me, baby? And I'd say, I'll I'll be over tomorrow, baby. And she'd say, now you know tomorrow is a day that will never come, right? And I'm like, what Mm. the hell are you talking about? And she kept saying it, kept saying it. And then as I got older and talked to her more and, and, and started to come into my, uh, my, my maturation, it was symbolic of her telling me that all we have is right now. Tomorrow is a mystery. And by the time it is tomorrow, it will be the present. So take advantage of the gift of the present right now because yesterday's history, right, and tomorrow's uh-huh. mystery, it might, you don't know what's there. But when you are aware, when you are physically aware that tomorrow is now, it's, it's your gift. Take advantage because it's your present. And, and that that was so, like, cold. That was, like, just a parable. Like, so, so prophetic right. to me that I was like, man, um, never take anything for granted and always operate uh, that Right now is all we really have, you know? Mm. I think we had some great um, great grandparents, man. They really gave man. us a lot of knowledge and a lot of energy, but yeah. we have to understand where they came from. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We, we really have to understand where we came from. I remember saying this um, on a show a couple of um, episodes back. I said 100 years ago in 1920, we were still under Jim Crow. And segregation. Let me put that in proper perspective. 200 years ago, 1820, we were still in slavery. Let's look at all of the knowledge and the energy that we've gotten from parents, grandparents, if we're blessed enough, great-grandparents, to uh, be able to help us move forward. (laughs) And I like the opportunities that you and I and Ray have shared cultivating the complete part in the complete picture of quest. I mean, cause you know, yeah, like I stated before, you have a lot of moving parts. Um, and some people can get lost in those hats, but you seem to have harnessed it into one symbiotic relationship from one thing to the next thing to the next. And I want I want our listeners to be able to take away from that. Um, I want our listeners to understand that they too can do some of the things that you are currently doing. Um, that there is no limit to our potential. 
and that I think is huge. Um, so, so Quest, thank you so much for being on this show, man. Um, you, you, you truly amazing person. Not, not just amazing talent, but a amazing person. Mm-hmm. Man, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak life, you know, into the people. I'm a people's person, a people's champ. Um, you know, it, it, it took it took life coaching. It took it took really thinking about things holistically uh, and realizing how everything is connected. There was times where, as a construction worker, I didn't want my music world to know that I was grinding during the day, getting dirty with it, you know, building and trying to separate myself and partition myself. As the Western world uh-huh. likes to partition everything, and you know, in in the in the spirit of focusing in on a particular area, which is important sometimes, but we really have to realize that everything is connected, right. and there's really no separation between church and state. Uh, it's all True. connected, and so uh, it's so important that. We embrace all of the unique parts of us um, and, you know, master something. Once you master something, you can move on to the next thing because what will happen is you have muscle memory. And although you want to keep practicing and staying ahead of the curve, you just... Develop more bandwidth. You know we're not using what they say, less than ten percent of the brain. You know. Yeah, so that's true. Our our bandwidth, like Elon Musk is talking about, we're like dial up computers to what we actually could be. So challenge yourself, and that's why it's important to, to be. Mind, body, and centered. Uh, I mean, and, and spiritually centered and aligned, because then you'll be able to once you quiet down and able to like mind your thoughts and and the chatter and everything. You ain't gonna you ain't gonna be able to completely do it one hundred percent. But it's a practice. You'll be able to have more bandwidth to 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 be Ooh. able to have more capacity to actually be more productive and do more. And so uh, I just give thanks for that. I'm still a work in progress. Uh, and then you also have the the discernment to know when to delegate and who to delegate to, you know. And that so, part. Um, that part. I look at all of those principles, man, and it all starts with spirituality for me. And so I'm just grateful uh, to be able to share some of the story with you guys, man. It's going to be a book one day in my life where I really get to, like, break it down, you know, from a literary point of view. But right now, uh, I'm going to just keep uh, building out these businesses uh, and um, creating legacy, you know, for the family and for other people to be able to grow and and and, and help me expand a legacy. Because it's not just my legacy. I'm just a part of something bigger, you know. I always tell myself in my prayers, Thank you, God, for allowing me to be an instrument in your orchestra called life, you know, and allowing me to master my instrument so I can sound off my 
my sound into the world and it, and it can be received, man, that's a blessing, man. That part. I love it. Man. All right. Wow. That was a great show. We covered a lot, bro. Yeah, man. Thank you. And again, I just want to like re uh, reiterate what we were saying. Thank you for being on the show and for sharing your wealth of knowledge and, you know, just letting the people know who you are as a person. You're not just a DJ. You're a multifaceted individual and a multifaceted black man as well with a family and all kind of other things. And that's you. Really thank you guys for the opportunity, brother. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank so, you. Uh, so, audience, uh, we want to thank you guys for listening again. And uh, don't forget, COVID is out there. Y'all be safe. And, uh, you know, take yeah. some lessons from from uh, my man Quest here, some of the stuff he's doing. He's, he has his hands in a lot of pockets, so he can, like, keeps himself going and keeps himself busy. Yeah, we didn't even talk hey. about the cannabis piece, you know, and social action. Oh, no, we're coming back to that. And that we will have a that part new two. Endeavor, but yeah. Part two coming yeah. soon. Let's go. Part two. Sticky yeah. to the icky. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's get so, it. Uh, so our producer is trying to wrap up. So that's it. That's all we got for this time, and we'll tune in next time, guys. Next time. Respect, have a blessed one. Thank you. Peace. Yep. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.